Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, zooming in from Southern California, is my friend Tony Fieldson. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here today. Tony is going to talk about his new YouTube channel that's just launched called The Restoration Table. And um, it's a beautiful YouTube channel. I've seen his first video, and I encourage all of our listeners to connect with it. It'll be in the show notes, and we'll talk more about it. Just by way of introduction, um, Tony is um, teaches at the junior high level in the Anaheim area. He's teaching the fifth grade. I think that's all online right now, Tony. Is that right? Yeah, completely online at, at the junior high level, so seventh and eighth grade. And yeah, we have some higher COVID numbers around here, so we haven't gone back to, to school yet. And so yeah, it's very interesting, to say the least, to teach that way. And um Tony is um, in his mid-30s. He's married. He has two kids. He's a convert to the church. So we will talk about his journey to join the church in his early 20s and then his decision to serve a mission in his mid-20s. Um, so this is going to be his conversion story growing up, um, a little bit about his career, and a little bit about his feeling about the restoration and why he's a committed member and what he's trying to do with the restoration table to just bring us together in the same um, human family, and to create civil discussions around our restoration. Will you introduce, because we're going to talk about it at the end of the podcast, just introduce the restoration table to us at the beginning of the podcast and your goals. Sure. So I've often been frustrated as I've been trying to learn as much as I can about the church there. Things can get so polarized, as you know, in religion and politics. And a lot of times, you know, things get polarized on both sides. And a lot of times people make caricatures of the other side and they call it the straw man argument where they don't fairly represent them, accurately represent them. And what I would like is, even if we disagree with people, is to have in the same episode, at least a fair representation of both sides of the argument. So what I want to do is I want to, you know, the, the, the name is the restoration table. I want to bring people together. Imagine a great Thanksgiving feast where you have your family and friends bringing food in a potluck and get together and share, share some of your favorite ideas and, and maybe talk about some areas you disagree in, but, but be civil about it. And I think there's just way too much, especially nowadays, there's just, the discourse is just ramped up and there's just too much anger and not enough peacemaking, not enough bridge building. And I want to share what I think are my favorite gems from the restoration. And I also want to summarize what some of the major critiques are so that all parties involved, whether you're an investigator, whether you're a longtime member, whether you're a critic, you're struggling, People can have kind of a one-stop shop. That, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to jam-pack a bunch of what I consider to be the most important facts and ideas surrounding the restoration on both sides. I'm going to put it all in there, try to cut, cut, cut out the fluff and really let people have a conversation. And it's really kind of more of an introduction to the subject. And I'll have links below that you can study more. But yeah, I really am passionate about building bridges and, and uh, bringing people together, even if we disagree at the end of the day. So... Love that. That is good space for this podcast. And I think we're wired the same and want to accomplish a lot of the same things. So it's an honor to have you on the show, Tony. Tony and I offered a prayer and we just pray that this podcast to be helpful for you, our listeners. Let's start with just pre-conversion. You joined the church in your 20s, but talk about life before your 20s. Oh, sure. Well, I feel like I had an amazing growing up experience. I have incredible parents that really showered my brother and I. I have a younger brother, three years younger than me with so much light and love, incredible people. They have a great marriage. They have a great story and of, of uh, how they met each other and everything. They actually 
both grew up in the same area on either side of a park and their, their sisters played on the same softball team as each other. They lived on different streets, but they had the same exact house number, the same exact address. So all these kind of, you know, the divine handiwork bringing them together. But we really enjoyed sports a lot growing up. Baseball is my favorite sport growing up. My dad was my coach. A lot of, a lot of the games played basketball and soccer. Got the golf bug when I was 11 and my brother was eight. My dad, you know, rediscovered golf. He played in college, but then he kind of was, I didn't play when I was growing up, but that was when Tiger Woods was getting really big. So we were super into golf and really enjoyed playing. Really enjoy music a lot. I have a special connection with my dad with music, Beatles, Elton John, you know, Michael Jackson, Journey, all those bands. And um, another band called the Moody Blues, which not a lot of people know about, but they're kind of a cosmic rock band in the 60s and 70s. A lot of great movies we love joining, you know, growing up like A League of Their Own, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones. I have an incredible mom. She's been a kindergarten teacher now for 37 years and she's a legend in her community. She really helped my brother and I out with school growing up and made, made learning really fun. And she really was the perfect fan at all of our sports games. There's a Backstreet Boys song called The Perfect Fan. And that really exemplifies what, how we feel about her. And she put on all these Christmas shows for, for my family growing up that were just amazing. And um, my dad, he, he did not grow up with a father. And so he kind of had a father wound. And he ended up finding a... You know, in the 70s, they had that, that time period where there's kind of the self-help movement, the growth junkies, as they call them. And he was really into that. There was this group called Lifespring. And there was this re- retreat for a few days. And he learned how to process some of the stuff that, you know, the wounds from his life and how to grow and, you know, confidence and courage for the future and be more successful. He subsequently became a marriage and family therapist, I think partly because of, of the compassion that he felt for other people. And so I grew up, you know, learning a lot of the nuggets of wisdom from my dad. And then, you know, I really feel like it helped increase my emotional intelligence, you know, learning from him. Um, my, on my mom's side, she's 100% Cuban. So it's pretty cool their story. Both of her parents were really poor. They came from Spain and they basically got to Cuba as refugees. And they're like, okay, you know, kids, one of you go this way, one of you go that way, one of you go that way and try to find a job. So one of them found, you know, a shoe shop and learned how to make shoes, you know. So anyway, they have a really cool story, but they they both became doctors and they were actually followers of Castro back in those days when it seemed like he was going to be better than Bautista. And uh, that's a whole interesting story. My grandma had to go rescue his her dad out of jail after Castro took over all these crazy stories. And she ended up getting a Purple Heart Award also. She helped out a lot of the, the vets from uh, in the VA hospital over here from the Vietnam War. She was one of the only doctors to ever receive a Purple Heart Award. So um, I also learned Spanish growing up. My parents spoke pretty much 100% Spanish to me for the first couple of years of my life. I've gone back and listened to tapes of me talking. I'm like, wow, I can't believe how fluent I was as a toddler. But I think, I think when I got to uh, preschool, I was kind of embarrassed by that. So I told my parents I didn't want to speak anymore. So, but um, yeah, my mom was, she was raised Catholic. I think it's pretty stereotypical for a Cuban. Um, so my brother and I were baptized Catholic, but we weren't really active growing up. And so um, my mom, right about the time when I was 13 or 14, my mom went through some tough times in her life and she was kind of hit rock bottom and was searching out for God. She wanted that relationship with God again. And so we found, ended up founding one of those evangelical churches that has like the big rock band with the, you know, and, and, and all that. And we really enjoyed it. It was really great for our family at the time, especially my mom at the beginning. But later on, my brother and my dad and I kind of latched on. Um, but yeah, I, I was, you know, pretty normal kid growing up. I gave the graduation speech at you know, my, my fifth grade, uh, you know, graduation from elementary school. But I went through kind of a tough time in middle school and high school. Um, probably a combination of a lot of things, but I really struggled socially and emotionally. And um, a lot of the friends that I had in elementary school, 
I kind of felt like they were part of like the cool group in middle school and high school, like to make fun of other people. And I was maybe more of a, probably more of a sensitive kid. And it was tough for me. And I was probably, you know, a little socially awkward, I'm sure. And uh, I felt, went through a period of depression pretty much all throughout middle school and high school. And I felt like I was kind of displaced from my, my friend group. And there were times where, you know, I would go hide in the bathroom or in the library because I didn't want to see people to see that I was alone. Or I would gain enough courage to go up and talk to some group, but they felt maybe not, not comfortable with me. So they would go walk away or something. Or there's sometimes where I would just make laps around school. Keep making laps because, you know, I didn't want people to realize that I was alone. I wanted them to think I was going somewhere important. So I just kept walking around during lunch, stuff like that. So it was really tough. Um, my dad really helped me a lot during that time. You know, he's a very loving, compassionate person and marriage and family therapist. And he really helped to give me some great insights and kind of hope for the future. And um, it was great. And so consequently, I'll, I'll talk about this a little more later too. But, you know, I really have a big heart for kids who are struggling. I'm a junior high teacher. So one of the clubs I started here is a club where, where uh, we try to go around during lunch before school and talk to people who are sitting alone. And so it's been really neat to hear stories of students, even though they're junior high kids who are mature enough to forget about themselves for a moment to go do that. And it's been really great. So um, besides that, other highlights growing up, you know, I had a lot of great teachers, coaches, and a lot of big extended family, a lot of great family activities. And um, I had a, a, a Mormon friend that I met in high school. And so that was kind of my first exposure to the church. And, um, but he never really preached the gospel to me or anything, but, uh, you know, those are kind of the, those are kind of the, some of the highlights from growing up. And then fast forward later, I had some pretty big watershed moments that happened in college, but I'll pause for a second there. Great segment, Tony. Thanks for being so honest about your, um, your life, the upside, the downsides, the hard times. I, we all admire you for being so honest, um, and working through hard times. And that resonates with others that are listening working through hard times. You used a term, I think I know what it means, but emotional intelligence, just define that for our listeners and also define, even though we'll come back to it, straw man. Yeah. So uh, straw man is, you know, there are different logical fallacies, arguments that people try to make that don't have sound reason. So straw man is when somebody tries to represent someone else's viewpoint, but they don't accurately represent it. So that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, emotional intelligence, I'm not an expert on it, but it has to do with just having a mature outlook on life with relationships and communication and, you know, um, being Christ-like, basically being forgiving, you know, listening well and um, stuff that has to do with that. Yeah, that's, um, I like that term. And as I may have mentioned, listeners, Tony spent his whole time in, I think, Orange County. Um, Mm -hmm. Your academic training, your college, um, graduate work. Um, so this is a Latter-day Saint with no Utah ties per se, no Utah school in his blood. And I think that's great. Um, love that part of the world you're in. And I think we both learned our oldest daughters were both born at the same hospital, but a long time apart. <laughs> Just a little bit. Huh? <laughs> um, talk, keep, keep sharing your story. I don't know if you want to get into your conversion story at this point. Yeah. Or- Definitely. Yeah, tell us, so tell us about that. I was a pretty good kid growing up as far as my choices that I made. Never went to any crazy parties or anything in high school. Um, but I did kind of go through a downward spiral in college. I uh, started hanging out with some, some of the wrong friends. My, my really good friend who was a member of the church, he had left on a mission. He invited me to his farewell speech. and uh, One thing led to another. And um, 
you know, I even pledged a fraternity at a college. Thankfully, through God's grace, that fraternity ended up getting kicked out. Otherwise, I probably would have joined and gotten further steeped into that. But I was making a lot of really bad choices, um, even to the point where I was starting to, you know, neglect school and I was just a different person. I was still a, a nice person, but I was just uh, being consumed by drug addiction and things. And I don't know how God rescued that from me from that, but I know other people are not as lucky and things happen to them that are permanent, like death or jail and things like that. And um, it was a really, really dark time for me. And so um, there's kind of some amazing set of circumstances that rescued me out of that. One was I went to El Salvador on a missions trip with that evangelical church. They were going on their first trip to El Salvador. There's like 70 or 80 people. My mom invited me to go, partly because I was the oldest, but also partly because she knew I was going through some tough times. And, and um, so, yeah, I went and it was just incredibly amazing just to see the people, how poor they were, but yet they were more happy and grateful in their disposition than I was who had more material things in them, right? And I was part of a house building team during that week. They had a, you know, people were teaching the little kids about Jesus. We brought a lot of doctors to give out medical aid and it really, really rocked me to my core. We would have worship services at night where we'd sing songs and we'd share testimonies and experiences from what happened during the day. And I was just, as we use in, in uh, Mormon parlance, pricked to the heart. And I remember somebody telling me that they were like, Tony, I can see what's happening to you. You're never going to be the same. Um, and it really actually, uh, yeah. So it planted a big seed. I did come back and, and kind of get back into some of my old patterns, but it planted a huge seed. Um, after that, I, ha- I met my second Mormon friend. So I met this girl um, named Alicia. I was working at a, a restaurant and she was working there. Same restaurant with me, the Claim Jumper restaurant in Long Beach. Not sure if anybody's heard of that or they have I- that over there. I've used to love going to Claim Jumper when we lived in Orange County. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That I could consume five or 6,000 calorie meals at that <laughs> restaurant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They have, they have a little bit of everything in huge portions. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so we, we met there and she started inviting me to this thing called the Institute. I didn't know what that was, but she's like, oh, you're going to love it. You should go. They have ping pong there and all this stuff. And she just kept bugging me and bugging me. And she was inviting me to this like 7.15 in the morning class. It was like the Institute of Council. I was like, man, that's early. But I eventually came and it was great. I met the teacher there. He asked me what my name was. And he's, he, he, uh, he's like, oh, how do you spell your last name? And I spelled it out and it's Fieldson. So it's F-I-E and then L-D-S-O-N. He's like, oh, interesting. Hmm, it has an L-D-S right in the middle there. Maybe that's a sign, a sign that you're supposed to be a member of the church or something. So, wow, it's kind of funny. But anyway, so I went there, and um, you know, uh, unfortunately, she was not making the best decisions. She started to become more inactive and hanging out with some of my my friends, and it's kind of the uh, not the best path. But um, but eventually, I met her family. She had great. She was the oldest of six girls. Great family. They let me come over to their house. I saw them do FHEs and and uh, pray, and just incredible people. They actually invited me to go to general conference. So I went to general conference in October of 2006. And I'd never even started reading the Book of Mormon yet. Um, Back, you know, back up a little bit after, after El Salvador, I started reading the Bible for the first time and praying. I'd never prayed before. We didn't pray in my family growing up. Um, I started writing out prayers in a little notebook, you know, um, and they actually invited me to be be a part of the high school ministry um, after that El Salvador time. But, so I went to the general conference and I watched the Joseph Smith movie. And I remember it's a very powerful movie, kind of evokes your emotions. And I remember, you know, getting teary-eyed, just thinking about all the amazing, miraculous things that happened, that they were claiming happened, right? And uh, the hardships they went through. 
I remember going to Deseret Book and looking at some books and taking the tour of Temple Square. Really felt an abundant spirit of peace and light. And uh, it was great. We went to a session. I remember Elder Piper. I don't know if he's still in the member of the 70, but he gave a talk called The First Generation. And he was talking about people who are first generation members of the church and what a blessing that can be to your posterity and your ancestors. And I remember kind of feeling like he was talking to me. So anyway, I got home after that and I was just thinking about it. Wow, this whole restoration thing, huh? And um, I was going to, you know, I was attending Cal State Long Beach. I'd been there for a few years and I was reading an essay for one of my classes. And I remember thinking, man, really, did this restoration thing, this thing really happen? And I remember writing a note to myself, kind of a prayer to God, like, hey, did this thing really happen? And I, I, I stopped, you know, where I was reading. And then after I wrote the, read the prayer, I picked up where I left off. And the very next sentence I read in the essay, the word restoration was in that sentence. Wow. I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. That didn't happen anywhere else in the essay. So I don't know if it was my brain subconsciously knowing that or if it was a miracle, but that kind of piqued my interest. So the very next day I went to school and I started thinking to myself, huh, I wonder if they have an institute of religion here at Cal State Long Beach because I had heard that they had them adjacent to most colleges. And I, I had been to one with my friend that was a couple miles south. So I just was wondering, I wrote a note once again, nowadays I'd, nowadays I'd write it on my phone, but I wrote a note back in those days and put it in my pocket. And um, I went to my first class. And then after that, I was on my way to the next class. And all of a sudden, right in front of me, there was this booth set up with a big sign that said, welcome to the Institute. Wow. And there were a couple of members of the church and a couple of missionaries there. And I later found out that was the very first day they'd put up that booth all year. And it was the same day I wrote that note. So at that point, I was like looking up into the skies. What, what's happening here? <laughs> wow. So anyway, that was amazing. Um, and after that, you know, I really started investigating. My friend from, from high school, Sean, he came back from his mission. I started asking some questions to the pastors at my church. Uh, I started taking the missionary discussions, take, you know, going to Institute, reading the Book of Mormon, and um, kind of comparing churches. I go to my parents' church in the morning, and then I go to the Singles Ward in the afternoon, and really kind of the way I sum it up is the, the quantity and the quality of the, the things I learned, the spirit I felt, and the associations I made were just so much more amazing here. And, um, you know, I, I read the, the entire gospel principles manual, I remember, and I just remember thinking to myself, wow, so many more pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. Uh, you know, they really focus on, on the grace of Christ and how he died on the cross for us to save us. And that's really important. Of course, that's the core of the gospel. That's what they focus on in the evangelical church. But so many other things that I learned, right, as far as why Jesus died and, and um, who, who can he save and, and what exactly did he do for us and what's our origin, what's our purpose, what's our potential and just all those things. And it was just, I had so many, so many amazing spiritual experiences. I felt like in an overwhelming way, God was revealing himself to me and helping me to know that this was true and this was the right path. So I decided to join. However, my parents were not happy, as you can imagine. Um, and so they had gotten some anti, you know, some critical books of the church. One of them was called Mormonism 101. And it was, sounds like a harmless, you know, introduction to what we believe, right? But it's a completely critical book. And after I, I remember writing a note to my parents and uh, I left it on their desk and it was a note letting them know I wanted to get baptized. And I hadn't really, I hadn't really hinted at that before. They had asked me, you know, oh, I can tell you're investigating this religion. Are you really in interested in it? And I was kind of hiding it. In retrospect, I shouldn't have done that. But so I wrote the note to them. I couldn't sleep at all that whole night. They woke up and they were both crying and my dad sat me down and proceeded to share about four hours worth of, of what was in that book, the Mormonism 101 book. Um, he met with my institute teacher wow. and then um, we had a really big meeting. There's a place in Orange County. It's a store run by evangelicals. It's called Ex-Mormons for Jesus. And they feel like they have a ministry to help 
Latter-day Saints realized that they, you know, don't have the true gospel and they should focus more on grace and not works and all that kind of stuff. And he took me there and my, I invited my institute teacher and also my friend who was very skilled in debating. And uh, we went there and we met with this couple who were sixth generation members of the church and they'd written a book called uh, Mormon's Unexpected Journey, Finding the Grace I Never Knew. And they started to talk about all the criticisms they see against the church. And my dad and I just kind of sat there as they went back and forth with my institute teacher and my friend. It was very interesting. Um, I had actually postponed my baptism for a little bit so that my dad, especially my dad, had more interest in it. He wanted to, you know, he was just very concerned for me. And so anyway, after that last debate, he kind of said, thank you, Tony. I appreciate you taking a little more time and respecting me. I feel a little bit more comfortable now. I think he kind of realized that there were a lot of intelligent, good people who believed in the church and it wasn't just some, you know, crazy thing, um, even though he still didn't agree with me. So anyway, my parents and my brother came to my baptism. I was very thankful for that. My friend from high school, he flew down from Hawaii to baptize me. And it was really incredibly spiritual experience. I re- really re- remember, even though it's just water, I remember feeling the tangible effect of, of feeling, you know, I, I have a, a kind of a before and after picture. I have a picture of me when I went to El Salvador and I can see there's kind of some darkness in my countenance, you know, there's, and, and I remember just seeing so much more light in my countenance after I got baptized in some of the pictures. It's a real tangible thing that you can see. And it was just so incredibly amazing to be able to, to have a stronger testimony that there really is a God who loves me and to see all these amazing things that were happening through the restoration. Uh, it was an incredible, incredible experience. And, uh, you know, I began journaling. I'd never journaled before. And now I'm obsessed with it. I journal all the time and I do highlights at the end of the year for, for every year. And I, I love journaling and, and, and treasuring those memories. I, uh, I know there's kind of this, uh, this term that's used called love bombing. I really did get love bombed. And, and, uh, and that's a, an, a positive connotation. Some people use it as a negative connotation, but I was so well fellowshipped. I mean, I gained, I had over a hundred people at my baptism. It was a great singles ward and I gained over a hundred friends and 10, 15 really good friends within the first few months of investigating. And that was such a blessing as well. Um, and I just really had a thirst for learning. I just started going to all these institute classes, reading a bunch of books, a marvelous work in a wonder book of Mormon. And I mean, I was just eating it up, just loving it and just so thankful for it. Um, so yeah, I was baptized when I was almost 23. And then, um, unfortunately, before I talk about my mission for a second, I had a really tragic thing that happened. My, my, uh, best friend, Alicia, who, who I met working at the claim jumper, um, she actually was murdered a wow. couple mo- uh, about six months before I left for my mission. Um, so wow. yeah, it's kind of a long story, but she ended up. Um, so when I converted to the church, she also came back to the church at the same time cool. and was super happy for me and and you know was rediscovering her testimony. But she she had met a she had met this guy um, during the days when she was kind of involved with me and my friends not going down the best path. She had met met a guy. Um, and, um, anyway, she kind of reconnected with him and I think she wanted to kind of share the gospel with him and stuff. But anyway, um, yeah, he was, uh, you know, really hooked up on drugs one night and he ended up murdering her in the streets of LA and left her, left her on the streets of LA. And, um, I remember obviously when I found out about it and her whole family and everything, I mean, there's just no words to describe. I'd never had anybody in my life close to me die before. And it was just absolutely tragic. I spoke at her funeral cool. and, um, so anyway, I'm still close with her family today. They still have five daughters left and her, her father's the stake president of the, of the uh, stake nearby me. But, wow. but yeah, that was uh, something that happened right before I left on my mission. So yeah. 
That's a great segment. I love talking about Alicia. I love that you brought her name into the podcast. I think that honors her and her family and her role in your life and then that tragic outcome. Um, who, what was the name of, was it Sean that baptized you or is it somebody else? Sean. So it was Sean, Sean that yeah. came from Hawaii, your high school Mormon friend. Yeah. That it's sort of, that then you really connected with. I love that and great job, Sean. And I, that's a, a wonderful kind of segment of navigating that with your family because you're close with your family. And um, I love that you kind of spent some time there and even delayed your baptism to try to just bring it seems like partly what your whole life story is, Tony, is to try to bring common ground and to go slow enough that you're making as much chance for people to, to hang in there together in our differences and keeping the family circle together. So that's a great part of your story, but this is a powerful conversion story. When you got baptized, were you thinking I'm going to go serve a mission or did that come later? A little bit of both. My institute teacher had a big impact on me. He's actually my current father-in-law too, which I'll get into <laughs> a, second, a second. But um, I didn't, I didn't meet, I didn't meet my wife until a couple months after I got baptized. But yeah, he was already planting the seeds. And honestly, I noticed that I had a lot of really great return missionaries who became my good friends and fellowshippers, and I just really liked what they had as far as the 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 spiritual level, spiritual level and knowledge they had, which I know is not serving as a mission is not pre- prerequisite to have that, but they were great influences on me. And so, um, yeah, and I was still within the age range. So, so th- it's just a great conversion story. I love just the story. It builds my faith. I love to hear conversion stories. We've done a few on the podcast in this very room. We had my, br- my son and I invited someone to be baptized. He accepted that invitation. It's a it's an episode way back in the single digits, but it's great to hear conversion stories. It's faith promoting. And I wish our listeners could see you because you are just full of light um, and energy and excitement for the restoration and what it's done for you in your life. And sometimes converts, as you know, have a better perspective of the change the gospel brings in their life than others that perhaps don't have that perspective. And it's, it's helpful for me as a lifelong member also love the work, the book, A Marvelous Work and a Wonder. Um, that's a book that's very close to our family. There's several on the bookshelves behind me. Oh, cool. Um, so we love that book in our family. So just keep, I don't know if you want to talk now about your mission. Sure, for a moment. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I feel very, very grateful for all those experiences that, that have happened to me that I just shared. Thank you for, for what you said. So yeah, um, when I told my parents that I wanted to go on a mission, I think they were even more troubled. Well, I don't know about more, but equally troubled. And when I told them that I wanted to uh, uh, get baptized, so they had not been preparing their whole lives, getting yes. ready for me to leave for two years. The most I had been apart from them was two two weeks before that. And uh, you know, they'd heard some stories about tough missions, people dying or people not being treated right, and all that kind of stuff. So um, it was really really tough for them. And uh, they ended up. I mean, they they couldn't really force me not to. So. Um, Anyway, you know, I had some great experiences with them though uh, in that in that year time beforehand. You know, I started uh, doing individual scripture studies with them, and we would read the Bible, New Testament, because we had that in common. Once a week, I'd get together with each of them for 15, 20 minutes, and we'd have a prayer. We'd read some of the Bible and talk together, and that was a really neat experience. Um, they were already growing in their own Christian faith, but I think I also was able to have an influence, so that was really neat. And really, we grew closer together than we'd ever been before. 
And I knew coming out of a morning study, reading the Book of Mormon, feeling full of the fruits of the Spirit, I know that I was helping to contribute to that, as I'm sure they were too, with their own amazing qualities, which they have, which I'll get into later. But so um, probably the most amazing experience of my life happened when right before I left on my mission. <clears throat> we still talk about this experience to this day, my family and I. So they, they did not take me all the way to the MTC. They decided just to drop me off at the Long Beach City Airport. Um, and I was going to meet my friend Sean in Utah. He was living at Utah at the time. And I was going to spend a day with him before the MTC. But this was probably the most vulnerable moment in my whole family's life. They were about to drop me off. We were going to see each other for two years. Um, for some reason, I was not emotional. I was kind of just excited and ready, but they were all really emotional. And yeah, they were about to say goodbye to me. And like I was saying, my favorite band is the Moody Blues also partially because I look, you know, my dad's my hero and I also really like their music a lot. So anyway, all of a sudden, right before they're about to say goodbye to me, we hear music overhead. Now, usually I don't really think we notice very often when I'm in an airport, I don't really notice the music that's playing. I don't think that often. Okay, so... We notice music playing overhead and literally, obviously, there's hundreds of thousands, if not more, different bands or artists. Out of all the, the bands and artists it could have been, it was a song by the Moody Blues, which is, like I said, our favorite band and we have a special connection through music. So um, I just could not believe it. Okay, that if you Take it one step even further, though. The Moody Blues have over 100 songs, but they have one song out of the 100 that has a specific title that I think would apply to the situation. And the song is called, I know you're out there somewhere. And, um, you know, at this very vulnerable moment in my family's life, and they're wondering what's going on, God, like, is everything going to be okay? There's a, a song that we noticed by the Moody Blues. And it's the, I know you're out there somewhere song. And I remember when that happened, we all were just like, I mean, we were just in shock. And obviously we didn't have a lot of time to process it because they had to leave. But we've talked about since that many, many times, how amazing that was. And of course, in those days, I was kind of interpreting that to mean like, hey, you know, that's God giving you guys a sign that you should join the church too, you know? But I think for them, it was more they were feeling like it's just, you know, God's telling me everything's going to be okay and they felt more at peace. So anyway, that was absolutely incredible and amazing. And um, my mission was an incredible experience, a powerful experience being in the MTC and feeling united with people from all over the world about to go out into all over places in the world and, and share this amazing message. Um, I was scared when I first got to the to the, to the field. I remember uh, wanting to go back to the MTC, you know, the little cocoon, but um, I, I learned how to open my mouth and uh, it was just a great experience. My mission president and his wife were like spiritual parents to me. Another funny coincidence happened. It was my mission president's birthday coming up and I ended up finding out that he was born on the same exact day of the same month of the same exact year as my dad, October 30th, 1960. And that was just another kind of interesting thing there. But wow. Um, yeah, I had a lot of ups and downs. I had times where I was imperfect. I had other times, no, nobody's perfect for all the time on their mission, but um, I really tried the best I could. And, and the Lord blessed me with a lot of really great experiences. I always tell people that no matter where you go on your mission, you're going to meet dozens, if not hundreds of non-members, members, and missionaries that you're going to have great experiences with that you'll be able to be in contact with for, forever in, in the future. And um, I remember one time, one of the highlights was uh, Elder Holland visited. I was in the Mexico City North Mission. And I left when I was 24, got back when I was 26. And Elder Holland came to speak to all of the missions in the greater Mexico City area. Um, and he just gave one of those pulpit pounding, like really strong testimony. And, um, you know, he was rebuking some of the missions for trying to baptize too much without making sure they were, you know, ready and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but he shared a really powerful testimony. He bore his testimony in the end in Spanish. And he said, Yo sé que Dios vive personalmente, me entienden? 
He's like, he said, I know that God lives personally. You understand what I'm saying? And then he said the same thing about Jesus. And it was just, it just hit us so hard. I remember teaching a lesson later that night and testifying about the first vision and the spirit was just like, boom. And the guy felt it. And that didn't happen very often. My mission where I felt a really strong spirit testifying, but I was filled up on that spirit from what Elder Holland shared that earlier that day. And um, it was really great. I just really just strengthened my testimony in God and the church. And it was really great for me to see many people turn their lives around and, and, and find gospel principles that could bless their lives. And I remember one time my companion and I, we were inviting this family to get baptized and um, one of the lady wasn't quite ready. And uh, I remember we started a fast and we fasted for her. And the next day when we followed up, she told us that she had this amazing dream where she was in the place of Lazarus and Jesus was calling her to rise up and follow the steps of her gospel. And that happened the same time that we fasted and just things like that, that, that happened that were just really great experiences that I, that I treasure. Um, also, I just fall, fell in love with the people, obviously. The people there, not that I don't like the people around here. Of course, it's a, we have a lot of diversity, but the people there on average were just so, so humble, so loving, so funny and fun and just so full of faith. And of course, I love the music and the food and everything. Mexican food is already my favorite food to begin with. But um, I had a really, really amazing dream on my mission. I, I, I rarely remember my dreams. I wish I did more. Some people remember their dream vividly. But um, one morning I had a dream of my friend Alicia who, who I've already spoken about. And, and um, it was in the morning and I remember you know, a couple hours before I woke up and I remember we were at some concert or some venue and it had just finished. And I turned over to the left and I saw her far away. We both recognized who it was and we both just had a big smile on our face and we ran to each other, gave each other a big hug. And um, I ended up waking up a couple hours later and I realized that it was the anniversary of my baptism. It was February 18th. And um, that was a real special thing just wow. to see that happening. And um, so yeah, mission was great. I got home from my mission and it was just, I was ready. You know, I felt ready. I felt ready to, to move on to the next stage in my life. And I had a really sacred experience at my mission releasing. So my parents attended. My t- parents came along, which I was, I was happy. I didn't know if they were going to. Um, and they came and I was we were there in there in the office of my stake president. And he told me, he's like, all right, elder, are you ready for this? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I think I'm ready. Like, you know, I was kind of curious, like, what do you mean? Like, why is he having me brace myself or something? You know, um, I'd already known that he wasn't going to lay my hand, his hands on my head and, and release me the same way he set me apart as more kind of, he was just going to say some things. But anyway, later on, I found out why he asked me that because little did I know I was so used to being, being a missionary. I was so used to having that mantle on my heart that I literally felt when he said those words, Elder Fieldson, I am so thankful. The Lord is so thankful that you've served this mission and I hereby now release you or whatever he said. I remember literally feeling like something was being taken out of my heart and I, it, it hurt, honestly. And like, without even trying, my, my, my face turned into like this really sad, painful face. My parents felt it too. They started crying wow. and it was an incredible experience. And it was just a testimony to me that I really was a missionary for the Lord. And these, these keys and this mantle was real and it really was being taken from me. And um, so anyway, that, that was just an incredible experience, the, the whole releasing. And um, so, yeah, um, I guess that's kind of the, the next segue. That, that was uh, an incredible time in my life. I'm very thankful for. Talk about the next segment, just being home. Yeah. So I continue to be in contact with many people from my mission, which I'm very thankful for. But, you know, I got home and I, uh, I had already graduated with a degree in history from Cal State Long Beach before I left on my mission. I was an older missionary. 
And so I came home and I started a teaching credential program at Azusa Pacific University. They had one of these programs where you could get your teaching credential and your master's at the same time. And it's a very prominent Christian, private Christian college here where I live. And um, they, only, they only accept Christians who are kind of, you know, Christians who believe in the Trinity, all that kind of stuff. They only accept them into the undergraduate, but they accept anybody into the, the graduate program. So I started that. Um, I was asked to teach a mission prep class. I became a veil worker at the LA Temple with the encouragement of the counselor and my bishopric, which I'm so glad he did. And um, I had some great family history breakthroughs. I found this gold mine from my grandmother. And that led to other people in my family tree who had already done some work. And I just kind of got the bug, the spirit of Elijah there for a while. Um, that hasn't always stayed consistent, but it was a great breakthrough. Um, I gave copies of the Book of Mormon personally signed to like 30 people in my family. My mom is one of eight. My dad's one of four. And my aunts and uncles and cousins, you know, who are all non-members. So that was neat. Um, I continued to never, you know, I never stopped investigating religion. I love learning about it. I think there's so many fascinating, inspiring, beneficial things to learn. So I continue to learn as much as I can, reading, listening to podcasts. And I ended up writing this paper about the, what I consider to be the five most compelling reasons to believe that the, the restoration is inspired of God. And I ended up, uh, I was on a podcast for that. Um, Bill Real, who started, he used to be on the Fair Morn podcast, but he branched out. And he was kind of uh, trying to introduce people to some challenging questions, but helping them to lead with faith, at least early on in his, his days. That's what he was mainly about. And he, he invited me on there and I, I shared that. So that was neat. Um, I had met my wife. I met her before the mission. We, we kind of dated a little bit and hit it off. And we put it on pause. And she actually stalked me at the MTC. She, at the MTC, you can practice on investigators. And she was going to BYU. And she, she was an investigator. She was wondering if maybe I might be one of the missionaries that might be there. <laughs> anyway, but I got home. And um, fortunately, she was dating somebody else. And so I started uh, you know, getting into the social scene. And um, it turns out she ended up breaking it off with that guy. And she was kind of ready to date me again. But now it was my turn. I was dating somebody now. So um, after a while, though, I think we both kind of realized that we wanted to see what it would be like to really date each other. And we just really hit it off during a six-month period in the beginning of uh, 2011. And um, ended up getting married in 2012, April 7th. And um, just such a blessing. She is seriously the sweetest person I know. She has so much compassion, empathy, so talented, so fun. I, I don't know how... I'm so lucky to have her in my life. There's a song by, um, I think his name is Ben Fold. It's called The Luckiest. Great song that really exemplifies how I feel about her. But um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, we just have a, we really are so blessed. We have two girls now. We have a four and a half year old, Azalea Noel, and a three-year-old just turned three yesterday, Jasmine Joy. And we feel just incredibly blessed. Of course, it's very challenging, but it's the most rewarding thing. No words can describe it at the same time. Um, so yeah, I finished my teaching credential and I've been teaching now for eight years at a high school for the first four years and now at a junior high. And I'm in the trenches with those kids who are going through some tough times and uh, it's challenging. At the same time, it is just incredibly rewarding. Like I mentioned, I really love having that club where we try to go help people who are, are alone and have, help them have friends. I run the Christian club also at my school and I teach Spanish and history and really, really love it. Take after my mom, who's a kindergarten teacher, like I said. So, um, so yeah, uh, besides that, my wife's family is incredible. Um, I obviously am the only member of, of my family, but she comes from family. Her, her mother is actually a convert and has an amazing conversion story. Is an incredible woman. Her dad has like pioneer ancestry from Sweden. And um, her dad was a mission president. And anyway, they're, they just, her family is, is gold. They're great people, really strong in the gospel, so welcoming and loving. My brother-in-law, her older brother is my current bishop. And I'm, uh, that's been a real strength to me. I feel blessed to be in that family. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I've served as, I've been ward mission leader, I've been elders quorum presidency, executive secretary. I've worked with the young men. I've been a Sunday school teacher. I've just continued to love learning about the gospel. I've had my ups and downs and needed to repent and use the infinite atonement of our savior. Um, and, uh, yeah, my wife is a really big type of Christ in my life is a big strength to me. And, uh, I really love keeping in touch with my, with friends. That's a big strength to me as well. I've kind of gotten in this habit of, uh, on my way home from work, I have a 30 minute drive and I have this list I've made of, of a bunch of people throughout my life that I want to keep in contact with. It was an idea from one of my elders corn presidents. And so, yeah, a couple of times a week, I'll just call people up and reconnect with them. And it's been a great thing. Um, so yeah, I also, uh, I had a, a, a dream. Uh, when I got after I got home from my mission, and uh, it was a dream. President Hinckley was uh, was president at the time, or I think actually no, it was President Monson. But anyway, he came to me and he just said, "Tony, I want you to know how much I something about how much he loves the Savior, how much he knows he's he's true." And when he said that, the impact just burst my heart open. I remember, um, and it's just neat. I don't have spiritual experiences like that all the time, but it's been neat to continue to try to live the gospel and have spiritual experiences. I really connect with music. I love spiritual songs, they really, they really swell my heart. I love continuing to learn about the Book of Mormon. I love interfaith dialogue. As you, we've talked about before, I love, I love bridge building and, and, and having you know, respectful dialogues with other people. So I've had dialogues with evangelicals. I've had dialogues with, you know, I've gone to mosques and had dialogues with Muslims. I've had some Jehovah's Witness friends and I really learned a lot, a lot about them. I admire how much they go out and preach and how much they really try to learn about the Bible. And I've gone to some of their church services, their annual, you know, resurrection commemoration services they have, even one of their regional conferences at a big stadium where they, you know, talk about the gospel and try to act out and role play about how to be a good Christian, stuff like that. So I really, I really love uh, building bridges as far as that goes. And um, yeah, I just love learning. I've, I've learned a lot, especially about the Book of Mormon evidences for it, the complexities of it about the atonement, the word of wisdom, fasting, um, you know, many great uh, doctrines that Joseph revealed and the plan of salvation. And, uh, you know, I've, ever since I got from my mission, I slowly started sharing things on Facebook, some blog posts. I would record things on, on a personal YouTube channel, some of my uh, spiritual experiences, but I'd never really gone full mainstream with it. Um, so that was kind of, you know, some of my highlights ever since I've come home from the mission. After that, I think the next kind of segue is, uh, you know, there's a time where like I told you, when I first joined the church, I had my parents launch a lot of criticisms at me. And to be honest, I really didn't, I, I was kind of aware of the criticisms on a surface level, but I didn't dig deep into them. But starting about two or three years ago, which I'll explain more in a second why, I really, for the first time, I'm like, hey, you know what? I, I'm a bridge builder. I want people to understand. I want people to understand the five most compelling reasons why I believe in the church, but I haven't sought out to fully understand why critics don't believe in the church. I think it'd be good for me to at least understand that. And so I kind of embarked on a process of doing that the last couple of years. Um, great segment. Um, I love what you've done. I love the five most compelling things and just keep, yeah, can I go right into the next segment, Tony? This is great. Oh, no. oh thanks. Yeah. So <clears throat> like I said, I was kind of introduced to some more of the nuanced or, uh, you know, some more of the, uh, the imperfections in the church. Uh, through, you know, Fair Mormon and also Bill Real starting out his podcast is kind of a soft pillow to land on, as they say. And, you know, when I first joined the church, I remember my dad, especially, he asked me one time, he said, you know, I understand you realize you believe, Tony, that this is, you know, the, the God's restored church and all that. But he's like, can you even allow or admit that there might be some imperfections along the way? He's like, for example, 
Are you open to the idea that maybe the whole, you know, priesthood and temple ban was not inspired of God? And I remember saying right away, like, oh, no, definitely not. Like, the pro- you know, the prophets, they always are teaching the word of God. There's no imperfection kind of thing. And that's kind of where I was at in those days, kind of more of the black and white stage. And I remember kind of getting an emotion- emotional. It's like, oh, I just wish you could understand all the things that I'm understanding, all the things I'm experiencing, dad, you would love it. Anyway, um, so I was slowly introduced to more of the ideas of that there could be imperfections, but it was framed in a way that, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the church has to be not true anymore. Um, there could be imperfections that happen like you see in the Bible with prophets, but uh, I, you don't have to let go of all the good and inspiring things that you're aware of. So I kind of slowly started learning more about that kind of stuff. And at the beginning, it was a little bit troubling, a little bit hard, but um, I think I did it slowly. And I had some good tutors, people like Terrell Givens. I remember listening to him give a great interview uh, where um, somebody asked him a lot of the critical questions and he kind of talked about how he views things. And um, so, but I was still kind of, so anyway, um, I, I had a friend, basically, I had a friend from the singles war days and he he told me that his wife was leaving the church because she had some traumatic experiences and he was kind of going down the rabbit hole, learning more things. So I told him, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to jump in all the way. And so we ended up making this document together. And what we did is we took what we considered to be the most significant topics within church history and doctrine. And we made top 10 lists. We made lists of 10 common reasons why people believe this is inspired and 10 common reasons why people don't believe it's inspired. And um, yeah, it was like a 40 page document. It was a very interesting exercise. And I have to say that after I, you know, really did that, I, I started to understand a little bit more where the critics were coming from. Um, I realized there were more compelling, they had some compelling reasons that back up what they say. Um, I don't think there's any slam dunk case or any, you know, there's no proof either way. I don't think you can prove the gospel intellectually is true or you can't prove it that it's not true. But they had some, they had some arguments to back what they were saying up. So I had, didn't have a full blown faith crisis, but I had some little mini hits, you know, or I'd just be listening to a podcast and I'd be like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I can't believe this. Um, so I had to process through some stuff. Um, some of the main stuff I had to process through, Book of Mormon was a big one, you know? Um, and I could go into the details, but I won't not. But Book of Mormon, you know, some stuff with blacks in the priesthood and polygamy, um, some more modern stuff with the whole, um, you know, the LGBT issue. And I have a couple cousins who are gay and um, hearing their story and realizing that a lot of people, you know, they fast and do all these extra things to try to change their orientation and they can't. And just thinking that, are we really asking them to, to um, go a whole life without being able to have the kind of love that, that we have? And I haven't quite settled my answer on that because I understand the whole argument for, for, you know, the way that the church teaches it and everything. But I definitely opened up my mind and my heart that I read that article by Bryce Cook, that guy from Arizona. That's really great. Um, so anyway, you know, I was just kind of diving into all this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it was interesting. It was definitely uh, an interesting time. And uh, so, yeah, um, I still, you know, where I'm at now, I still believe, you know, in the core tenets. I can't prove to anybody that they're true. Um, I feel like I can say I know because I felt powerful spiritual experiences, but it's probably, to be honest, more of a no with a lowercase n than a capital N because I'm not God. I don't know everything, but I, I have a strong testimony in, in the core tenets of of the church. At the same time, I know there have been many imperfections that have been committed. And I know for some people, they kind of feel like the imperfections are too much and, and, and they, they can't be members anymore. Or they've experienced too much trauma. And I think we need to respect each other at the end of the day. We need to respect each other for our different, you know, I don't think we need to start worrying about if we're going to see them in the next life or we don't need to judge them and say they're led away by Satan. 
or that they're worse off now. I don't think that's a good way to go. I think we need to love each other and realize that God is going to be the ultimate judge and he's going to guide us into the, the right path eventually. And so I've kind of, you know, stepped into that world of the more of the, the gray area. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, you know, the whole one true church thing, you know, I, I believe that I believe in the restoration at the same time. I know there are so many other religions and so many other people that have great stuff. I mean, I know that my parents, for example, my parents in their own unique ways, I know they've made their own covenants with God and they've given their lives to God and are devoted to him without the temple. And so um, I do believe in the temple and I felt powerful spiritual experiences in the temple. But at the same time, I realize, you know, so I, I kind of just see it as this orchestra, you know, there are so many different instruments that are important for an orchestra. And I think one day, for example, I think in the Eastern religion and the traditions, they have a lot of great principles that they know about meditation and mindfulness. And I think eventually one day we're all going to need that. And we're all going to need to learn those principles, whether in this life or the next. And I think that we have some unique, incredible things also in the restoration that I think everybody is going to need and benefit from as well. So I've kind of just expanded and opened up my, my, my views a little bit and become a little bit more flexible. And, um, and I think uh, I want to stay in the church for many reasons because I love it. And also, I think it's okay to be an agent of change as long as you communicate your ideas in respectful ways, not trying to attack the church. I love the paradigm of Emma when um, you know the tobacco stains on the floor. She didn't go try to attack and bring them to church, but but she you know complained and, and expressed a critique. Critique, but it's because she loved Joseph and the church. She she wanted to see it get better. And and I think there's ways to to work to work that way in a respectful and loving way. And so. Um, yeah, that's kind of some of the, I guess you could call it kind of a faith transition. I went through some deconstruction, some reconstruction, and um, it was, uh, you know, everybody everybody comes out of that process in different ways. But, you know, I've really discovered that there's too many people that are having faith crises. And I read that book called Bridges, which I don't know if that's your brother or someone yeah, related to you or not. It's okay. my older brother. Yeah, really great book. And uh, the truth is, is most leaders don't feel like they're equipped enough to help people who are going through faith crises in understanding and also be able to have the empathy and love. And most family members are not that way either. And so I, I see that that's a great need. I also started a gospel discussion group in my word a little bit ago, year or so ago. And um, I invited anybody to just come have, you know, healthy, respectful conversations. And we had, we were sharing, you know, our favorite gems from the restoration. I had some people who were sharing their anger about the church and their doubts. I had somebody open up at, for the first time that they had gone through a faith crisis and, and never told anybody before. So I was grateful that I was able to facilitate that. And I felt like God was kind of calling me on a mission to, to share the gospel and build bridges and share what I love about the gospel, but also, you know, let people know why people struggle. And just so we can all come to a better understanding and we can all, at the end of the day, we can choose what we want to choose. But um, that's really why I've wanted to, to launch this YouTube channel. So I guess that can be kind of a segue and I can maybe, uh, summarize some, some more of what my vision is for the channel. Um, great segment, Tony. And I'd love to talk about the YouTube channel. Um, I just, on behalf of all of our listeners, thanks for being so open with just your journey and the deconstruction and the reconstruction. So many are doing what you're doing and are going through that and they need other people to stories to hear. So thank you for having the courage to share that and what you're doing in your channel and with in that ward example and just being a safe place for people to process this. Would you go back, Tony, to where you were before your deconstruction started? Yeah. 
So what, what do you mean? Like, well, sorry. would you go back and are you glad this happened or would you rather go back and, Oh, I got And you. just permanently be in that stage before the deconstruction, right, right, reconstruction. Right. Yeah, no. Um, you know, I, I have mixed, I have mixed feelings about it, but ultimately I, I'm, I'm glad that I've gone through what I've gone through because sometimes I, during this deconstruction process, sometimes I haven't felt the spirit as much or as often, you know, or as strong as I used to before. I feel the spirit a lot right now talking to you and sharing my experience. And, and I have started to feel the spirit a little bit more, um, a lot more off and on the last six months to a year. But a year or two ago, it was, it was a tough time. Like I said, it wasn't a full bone faith crisis, existential crisis where I felt you know, suicidal or things like I know some people experience, which I can't even imagine what that's like. My heart definitely goes out to people who experience that. But it was, it was hard. Um, but at the same time, you know, the truth is, is there are a lot of imperfections and there are some problematic things that have happened. And so that's the truth. And so the truth might hurt, but you know, it's important to learn the truth. Um, and at the same time, it's also true, at least in my view, that there are many good and inspiring things also about the church. So I feel like I have a more healthy and accurate paradigm and view now of things. And um, yeah, so overall, you know, there's been some pros and cons, but I would prefer much rather prefer this trade-off. That's honest. And I appreciate being honest about not feeling the spirit. And for me, when I went through a similar experience, I felt some of the same things, so I didn't feel the spirit. And I and I wonder if it was partly my emotional health at that time, this triggered just my emotional health was triggered by the complexity of this. And I think perhaps just emotionally, I was not wired to feel the spirit like I normally would feel. So I'm not sure it was, we don't feel the spirit. And sometimes we think that's, you know, we're not doing something we should be doing, but sometimes it's just a normal part of life and it can be influenced by perhaps our emotional health. Um, I wouldn't go back. Um, and I feel like I'm in a more sustainable um, stage. I, I, like you, don't get surprised about anything now. There's no, there's nothing new that I'm wondering if what's just around the corner that's going to rock me. Um, I've, and I don't want to say there's no more corners and no more things that could rock me, but I sort of know the general narrative of the church history. I don't know every story or every sort of version of every event, but there's nothing around the corner, I think, that would rock me at this point. And I have a framework to see the beautiful restored doctrine that came through the restoration and how it impacts my life for good and recognize also there's things that are very difficult and error, errors that we have made in the history of the church. And, and so I'm in the same spot and it's a great spot to be in. Um, I'm not sure everybody needs to be in that spot. I'm not sure everybody's personality is wired to be in that spot, but I think some, especially younger Latter-day Saints, in their just their way of learning and their way they're taught to learn, they're more likely to just want to understand the totality of the restoration. So with that, kind of um, lead us into your YouTube channel. Well, thank you. I appreciate what you said. And, and uh, we both have that in common. I really did. I mean, I've just, I've really, as they say, I've really nerded out <laughs> on the gospel, man. I mean, I've, I've checked out all of the most popular critical sources and in the way of articles and books, not all, but I mean, a lot, in thousands of hours. And also, obviously, wow. since, the beginning of, of, since the beginning of my time uh, converting, I've looked at all the best, you know, inspiring stuff too. Not all, I'm sorry, a lot. Um, but literally probably 30, 40 hours a week. Wow. You know, on my way to work, on my way home from work while I'm exercising or I go to sleep. I really love this stuff. And um, so, yeah, it was, you know, 
It's, it's been a lot. I have, as my wife will tell you, I have dozens, if not over a hundred different documents that I've created where I'm compiling all my, all the stuff, the best stuff. And I, I want to share that. So yeah, I've, I've been wanting to share, start a podcast or a YouTube channel the last couple of years. And I finally got it off the ground recently. So I'm really excited. Yeah, it's called The Restoration Table. And there's a lot of media outlets that have the name um, Gospel or Latter-day Saint or you know Mormon. And I wanted something unique. I also like the term restoration. The idea of a table, like we talked about before, the idea of everybody getting together and having a good conversation. And so, um, so yeah, I, I really want to model... You know, there's, this, uh, there's this term that was coined called convicted civility. And Robert Millett, who was the dean of the religion department at BYU, he had these conversations with Greg Johnson, who's a prominent evangelical pastor in Utah. And they had these conversations where, you know, they talked about their convictions and their disagreements, but they were very civil about it. And that's sorely lacking in, in, in today's environment. And so I would like to model that. I'll have conversations with people on, you know, I'll, I'll present, I'll, I'll be on the believing side, they'll be on the critical side, and we'll talk about topics or, or maybe I'll just have an episode where I present the major beliefs and the major critiques about a topic. Um, so I'm do, planning on doing a little bit of a variety of that. And like I said, you know, we, we mentioned that term straw man before. The opposite of a straw man is what they call steel man. And a steel man is when you accurately and fairly and fully represent what a person believes on both sides. And, and I don't think there are very many media outlets that, that really do that. Um, so I think that'll be unique. And I'm also going to have short videos anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. There are a lot of channels that, you know, they do interviews for 12, 13 hours. And I think it's really great to hear, you know, more narrative and that's important. It serves a, it serves a purpose, but I think a lot of people are kind of looking for fast facts and kind of a, you know, jam jam packed introduction, at least with, with further links to study. And so I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be appealing to people as well. And, um, yeah, I just want to model that healthy dialogue and, uh, you know, most sources are usually kind of on one side or the other, or they make caricatures of the other side. For example, you know, a lot of critical, critical sources, they'll say the Book of Mormon is just a bunch of baloney. It's ludicrous. Um, you know, and that's a complete caricature. They can believe that it's not historical, but um, I think they need to acknowledge it because I think it's pretty indisputable that it's a complex book. And there's been a lot of scholarship that has showed that more lately. It's very complex and beautiful, wh- whether or not you think it's historical. So we need to represent things, right? Or on the other side, you know, I know there's some apologists that try to say, you know, that any, any criticisms against the first vision, for example, there's just nothing, no contradictions or no valid criticisms. For example, they take the, the idea of one of the versions of Joseph's first vision, he says in his 16th year. So it would seem that's a contradiction because, oh, this one says he's 15, the other one 14. Well, they actually show that it wasn't actually supposed to be the 16th. It was actually supposed to be the 15th. So they say, see, any problem that the critics try to launch at you can be easily solved. Well, no, that, that's not enough. There's actually more problematic, uh, you know, hardball criticism than, than just those softball ones. And I don't think they're slam dunk arguments. But for example, one one version he says he had already concluded that all the churches weren't true. But then another version he says that he was praying to know which church was true because it had ne- never entered his mind before that they were all wrong. So that seems to be a contradiction. I know there's probably you know ways of resolving that, but I'm just saying, you know, let's just let's just represent what people believe to the full extent, let's not be afraid of it, right? Like there's apostles that have said, if we have the truth, it can't be harmed by investigation. So let's not be afraid. Let's, let's talk about this stuff. That's what I, that's what I want to do. Um, as you know, you know, we are very tribal creatures and it's kind of uh, easy for us to get pegged on one side or the other. And then we want to identify with everything on that side and, um, you know, not give any leeway to other arguments. There's this really book, good book I read called The Righteous Mind, 
why good people are divided by politics and religion. And they talk about that. They talk about how there's, there's all these different moral frameworks that we appeal to, whether it's authority or, or obedience or freedom or equality. And some people, they, they have different values that they care about more than others. And obviously, we have a different combination of our DNA, the experiences we've gone through. And so we're going to have different things that we emphasize. And some of that, like you said, not everybody has the same personality. Some people are going to be out of the church and leave the church. Some people are going to stay in. We might have our bias as what we think is true and what's best for everybody. But um, I think a lot of times we, we say that people are just you know led away by Satan, like I said. And I think we need to realize that people that are e- equally intelligent and equally good-hearted can be for the church and against the church. And I think that's important to, to recognize. Um, so, um, so like I said, I, really what I'm going to do is I'm kind of kind of share some of the fruits of, of that study I did with my friend. So I'm going to take you know, the top 20 or so most significant topics within church history and doctrine. We're going to share what are 10 common beliefs and what are 10 common critiques of those topics. And of course, people know where I come from, but I, I respect people who have different conclusions. And so, you know, by doing that, I think I'm going to serve a lot of different audiences. I think I kind of dwindle it down. Obviously, I don't have a very narrow audience here because I'm sharing a little bit of the, the beliefs and critiques. So I think people that are new to learning about the restoration who want to learn, you know, fascinating faith-promoting aspects of it, I think they'll be served well by this. Seasoned members who want to revisit many of their favorite gems and maybe learn some new things, I think they'll like this. People who want to learn what the nature of the major critiques are of the restoration so they can understand their family or friends better who have left or maybe inoculate themselves, I think they'll benefit from this. Um, those people who would like some helpful, helpful perspectives and tools to navigate through challenging questions, there'll be some of that. And also critics, people who have left. Um, you know, John DeLynn often talks about Mormon stories, how it's important not to get caught up in too much ne- negative thinking. We want to sometimes remember the good. He has this podcast called The Gift of the Mormon Faith Crisis. And every once in a while, he'll have people list off things. What, you know, what are some things you're grateful for about the church? What are some positive things that you still appreciate about the church? And so critics who want to kind of get a dose of that in their lives again, I think they'll like this. And also, I think some of the critics will feel some validation for some of the struggle and pain they've gone through. Obviously, I don't, I'm not going to take it to the full extent of, of saying that I, I believe the church isn't true because of that. They can, they can do that. That's their right. We can agree to disagree. But I think they'll, they'll feel some of that. Um, and obviously, there's going to be people who are maybe a little bit reluctant. You know, although, they might, although people might like that their side is going to be represented, there might be people that are reluctant to want to hear the other side that opposes theirs. Um, but for those people, I want to make a little case about why I think it'll still be beneficial to them. So for believers, number one, um, I think it's important for you to be familiar with you know, some of the challenges because you'll be able to help answer questions that your kids ask you or investigators, right? You'll be able to better do that. I also think it's important to practice what you preach. As you know, in the church, we say it's important to seek truth. We, we want investigators to learn enough to realize that what they, what they knew before was maybe insufficient and we want them to change their mind mindset. That, that's a big thing to do. So I think it's important for believers to continue to learn and maybe even learn some uncomfortable things. Obviously, I can't force anybody to do that who people who don't feel like they're ready for that, but I think that's important. Another thing I think for believers, I think it's just important to be open to imperfections that have happened that might be neat. You know, they, we might need to let go of some things or change. I think that's part of the as we, we know now, you know, that we talk about the ongoing restoration. There's a lot of adjustments that have been made the last couple of years. I think it's okay to being open to that. Um, so yeah, that's on the believer side. For critics who might be reluctant to want to see the, you know, the opposing side because it might be triggering. I understand that. 
Um, at the same time, I also think it's important to practice what they preach because a lot of times they preach that it's important to learn truth, right? And they want, they want believers to continue to learn more and maybe discover some truths about the gospel that are kind of hard to handle or some criticisms. But at the same time, there might be some good and inspiring things about the church that critics never considered or never learned about. So maybe they might be able to learn some of those things. Um, also for the critics, I think, like I was mentioning, it is healthy to still remember some of the good and practice gratitude. And at the same time, um, I think there are a lot of critics that they want to, they want to be understood. I know there's so many critics who feel like they are estranged from their family members and there's a big wedge between them. And, um, you know, some families disown people. And I think, you know, if the critics want their family members to understand maybe a little bit more, some of the imperfections, I think it's important to be able to first, you know, understand and affirm and recognize some of the good that their family members enjoy, you know, um, if they're not, they're not going to like it if you just throw a, a source that's completely critical at them, you know, in order to build bridges, you got to be able to find some common ground and say, Hey, mom and dad, whatever. I still really love this. I love this. I don't think the church is all bad, but can I share something? Maybe that's a, you know, there's a couple things that are imperfections here that that's not, you know, I'm sure most people can't argue against that because people realize prophets in the Bible, you know, Bible made uh, were, were imperfect and all that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my vision. I, I, like I said, I hope to, I hope to serve a, a wide variety of audiences and I really hope to build bridges and, and kind of provide these videos that have a bunch of fast facts put in there as kind of an introduction to these topics. And obviously there are, there are a lot of people who already know a lot of this stuff, right? There's a lot of people who already have gone down these rabbit holes. So um, these introductions might not be new for them, but at the same time, as you know, there are a lot of people who they forget this stuff, right? They've learned about it, but they forget, they forgot it. They haven't compiled it all into one, you know, one-stop shop like this. So this could be a, a good kind of refresher for people who feel like they already know these things. They can maybe be reminded in a very quick and easy way what some of the, the main beliefs are and critiques about certain subjects. So that's kind of that's my vision for the, the YouTube channel. And I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to, to share things that I'm passionate about, things that I find helpful. And uh, I've already gotten some good feedback and I feel like this can really benefit a lot of people. I hope that they feel helped by it and enlightened by it as well. I just have a big smile on my face, Tony. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you. You are the right guy to do this. I look at your whole life story, um, growing up outside the church, joining the church, serving a mission, this personal relationship with your family that's not in the church and how that's just a beautiful success story. And I, part of your story that I just love is your family story and the things you said about your parents. Everything you said about your parents, this whole podcast just brings honor to them. They've never joined the church, but it's, it's not about that. You know, it's just about you seeing the beauty and the goodness in their lives and the family circle you have together and, and these common things that you do together, um, even in religious differences of reading together and praying together and talking together. And I look at sort of what you've learned to do in so many circles and now taking that in a broader way through the YouTube channel within the LDS community, people that are in and people that have left and I don't, I just trust you to do this. If I were your priesthood leader or your father, if I were active LDS, I mean, I am active LDS. If you're, if I was your own, if you were my son and I'd say, I just trust you to do this. I think it's so needed. And I think you have the lived experience. Um, you're really bright and you're very articulate and you know the content. I know the content a little bit, you know, I've never went in a deep dive hundreds and hundreds of hours. I just know the general stories 
I don't know every chapter within every story. I think you actually all I know you really know the chapters and and know the content. And I love that you're not demonizing the other side. I think that's what the Savior would want us to do. I think the the when I get to the forty thousand foot level of our doctrine, and I sort of I can't do this obviously, but I sort of see through their eyes. I think this doctrine of love. They want us to do things that bring their children together. And they're weep when we fight and when we find um, divisiveness in um, whatever lines are drawn, political lines or in or out of the church. Or, um, And I just think what you're doing, I, I wrote down a couple of scriptures, the truth will make you free. And so to me, you learning about the history of our church has made you freer. It's been a blessing in your life. And it's allowed you to understand other people and bring common ground. And I love this other scripture, perfect love casteth out fear. And I don't think you have much fear of the critics or much fear of people in or out of the church. And um, I think you're in the perfect place to do something like this. And it's so needed because I think we can create civil conversations. And, and I think it heals people, even people that have left the church. They're hurting a lot of them. Um, and they need to be healed. And they doesn't mean they'll come back to the church. But I think that if we validate their choice and and say to them positive things and trust them, the podcast I just recorded last night was with Andrea. Um, and she talked about a woman leaving the faith in the ward. And many people in the ward held a party for her, thanking her for all her service in the ward, and just said, we trust you. Um, wow. going forward. And I was just so touched by that. And they didn't do that of an agenda to bring her back. They did it out of agenda. They just loved her. And she'd done so much for the church. They just wanted to keep that friendship intact. Um, and you get that. And I think if we do that, I think our heavenly parents are just grateful that we stay together as the same human family. Um, I think they cry when we fight and argue and find ways to divide. So um, you're the right guy to do this. I, I mean, if I do this off the record, but on the record, I'd say don't get negative thoughts in your brain like someone else has already done this, or I can't do this, or I, for whatever, I, I don't know if you ever get negative about yourself. You're a pretty confident guy, but don't go I down have, that I have those times, yeah. Um, and it's in the beginning phases. You may wonder, is this needed, or why me, or... I don't have a big platform right now or do this, Tony. Don't listen to those voices. Do this. It's so needed. You're the right guy to do this. And it, and there's other guys that can do this too. And you'll have guests on your show and you've got people you've already worked with. And you're also a writer. You know, you're very good communicating orally and very good communicating ideas, but you're also kind of a deep writer and a deep, I think it's part of your gift in this space is to be very well researched and very thoughtful. Um, but there's a need for what you're doing. And so, um, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. It means a lot. And I'd love to have you back on the show sometime and just update. Uh, My goal of my podcast listeners is to connect, is connect people with other people like Tony and, and other people that are doing wonderful things. Um, that just, you know, perhaps my podcast can connect that you with them and their yeah. work because um, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good things. 
Um, so this is just, I just support you, what you're doing, believe in what you're doing. There's a need for it. And I just think if we could all close our eyes and see where you're going to be in five years or 10 years or two years with what you're doing, it's really neat. It's really needed. Um, so I'll turn it back to you for any cl- final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners. Well, I just, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. There have been so many great mentors that I've had in, in my life and my family and in the church. And um, I just, you know, in the, Mor- the Mormon uh, scholarly community, the people I interact with online, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's just a labor of love. And um, I'm just, I'm so thankful that we get to live this life experience together, which is full of mystery and full of blessings and full of challenges. And, and uh, I really love what you do on your show as well. It's just been, it's just, uh, it's just great. I just, I just love how you really open up your heart to, to try to connect with people and, and really understand where they're coming from and empathize with them and, and, and bring that learning and that understanding. And uh, it's also very much needed as well. And so um, I really appreciate you having me on here. It's, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, I, I thank you everybody for listening. I, I hope that something I've said today has, has touched you or, or blessed your life. And, and I look forward to, to other conversations with you in the future. Thank you so much, Richard. Thanks, Tony. Tell us again just how to find you, the ways people can find you, including your YouTube channel. Yeah. So right now, just go onto YouTube and type in the restoration table and uh, it should come up. However, you know, right now they have other things on there where they're actually restoring tables and things like that. So, <laughs> um, but I did put my tag on there and my name, um, but yeah. So just type in the restoration table and my name, Tony Fieldson, it should come up. Um, and, uh, or if you put in Mormon or LDS or something like that, it should come up. But I know you're going to put the link in the show notes too. That'll take them directly to that. But I'm also on Facebook and I'm trying to get up on the other things too. I'm trying to get a blog going and awesome. on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But um, I also do have a Facebook group called The Restoration Table too. So that, that'll be a lot easier to find too. So, but yeah. Well, um, great job, Tony. Our church and our world is better off with you in it and the things you're doing. And the, the, I think it's the doctrine of Christ to bring us together um, I think it's easier to bring us together for all the people that believe just the same and feel just the same and hold the same political views. But it takes a different type of implementation of the doctrine of Christ that you're helping do to bring us together in our differences and not demonize a different group of people and humanize people that have different beliefs enough. Syria still need boundaries. There's toxic relationships and there's people that are destructive. So it's not like just, but what you're doing is so needed. So. Um, Anyway, great job, Tony Fieldson. And thank you, our listeners, for listening. This is Richard Oster signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.